Welcome to another episode of The Walking Classroom. I'm Laura Fenn, and today I'm at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences in beautiful downtown Raleigh, North Carolina. With me this morning is Dan Dombrowski. He is the chief veterinarian here at the museum, and he's also a veterinarian doctor. Good morning. How are you, Dan? Good morning. I'm, I'm well. Thank you very much for inviting me to join you today. Oh, I'm, we're so glad to have you here with us. Tell me, why does a museum need a veterinarian? I would think that a veterinarian would work in a veterinary clinic. Our, our museum is, is very unique uh, here at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences. We actually have a, a large collection of live animals that are here for both exhibits throughout our, our museum and also used in educational programs. And so we actually have about a thousand vertebrate animals and a lot of invertebrate animals, thousands of invertebrates. And both... can you clarify what vertebrates and invertebrates yeah, are? Yeah, I can. So vertebrate animals are things like fish and amphibians and reptiles and birds and mammals. So those are our vertebrates. Those are kind of like you and I, as far as you know, their general makeup and their bodies are, are, are similar to, to what we would think of for us, for people. Um, and then invertebrates are, are sort of all the other organisms. Some of those are not as closely related to each other, but they're things like arthropods that have external skeletons. So um, insects, you know, bugs that you see, those are invertebrates. But then all the way down to things like uh, crustaceans, like crabs, um, things like sea stars, things like that. So you have all of those here we at have, the museum. We have all of those. We actually have thousands of animals, both sort of um, on the floor in exhibits and then, and then behind the scenes as well. And so what do you do with those? So my role here as the veterinarian primarily is to assist with the medical management of, of the collection. So we, we keep those animals healthy. Any new animals that come into the museum collection, we work to, to evaluate those animals. We do health exams, uh, checkups, uh, make sure that they're healthy, get them into the collection. Once, once they're sort of a part of this large collection, um, we do annual medical exams, just like you, you know, go to the doctor for a checkup, we, we do that. And then anything that's going to leave our collection to be transferred to another facility, we, we sort of do it all in reverse to make sure those animals are healthy. So, so we really spend our time working through cases, primarily fish and amphibians and reptiles, but it's enough to keep us very busy. Wonderful. And one of the added bonuses of the museum is that very often when you work, there is a, a viewing window. And so the public can actually watch you do operations, do checkups, take blood samples, and that's on display for public view. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're very fortunate to have our exam room, our, our clinical space uh, here at the museum, and, and our, our, veterinary, our laboratory space, uh, both in an area with windows where uh, we invite the public to, to join us. We, we schedule our clinical cases now for about two hours a day in the middle of the day, and, and folks can come up. Uh, we have microphones that, that so we're mic'd, and we have microphones outside so we can talk to, to people that join us at the window. We have cameras that, that uh, highlight procedures, kind of give them you know, a close-up view of what we're doing. Uh, our microscopes in, in our laboratory also have cameras, so when we're you know, doing an examination and we collect a sample and we might need to look at it under a microscope, uh, people can see that sample just, just as we're seeing it and making discoveries and, and making uh, a diagnosis. So it's projected on a large screen. Yeah, so yeah. what you're seeing through your eyes is also Absolutely. being seen so, by the so people as who are we're, watching. we're making those discoveries, we, we invite, you know, visitors to, to join us, all ages, you know, kids through uh -huh. adults. And, and it's amazing. We, we, every day uh, we have sort of nose prints all over the glass <laughs> where people are lined up. That's a and, good problem. And, you know, yeah, they, they, they 
we have regulars that come sure. uh, certain days of the week. Some of them come just about every day to see yeah. what's going on. Oh, isn't so. that wonderful? And I would imagine that that probably sparks a lot of interest in kids in particular into going into veterinary medicine. So a- Absolutely. And, and that's sort of my next question. How did you get started in this field of study? For me, you know, I've always loved working with animals, uh, particularly wildlife, but also pet animals. When I was in high school, I was kind of the kid that, that uh, the teachers uh, or the office folks would come find when they found a hurt animal or had an animal question. Um, so, so that was kind of always my thing. Uh, I, I, I always thought I, I might like to be a veterinarian. It, it probably was, uh, you know, either a veterinarian or, or at least to work in a laboratory with animals or, or to be a biologist. So, um, you know, that, that's kind of what sparked it for me. I also like to work with people. I, I've always enjoyed sort of retail and education and, and any opportunity to talk to people about animals. That's kind of my thing. Your, your ideal situation, you get to help the animals, but then at the same time, speak to the people and let them know what's going on, educate them about what you're doing. Absolutely. I, I, I tell folks I, I have the best job in the world um, because I, I, I get to do both. So I get to work with animals. I get to help sick animals. I get to talk to people. Uh, I get to do a lot of educational programs. I even get to lead field trips sometimes. Isn't so it's that fantastic. Great? Isn't that great? So were you always a good student? It's uh, it's hard to become a veterinarian. I, I probably wasn't always the, the best student. Maybe a little hard to work with sometimes. <laughs> uh, not always the best grades, I would say, either. But, you know, I, I love science. I love biology. And, and I really like working with animals. For me, finding ways, or, or for my teachers at those times, finding ways to kind of occupy and, and keep me focused uh, really, really was helpful. I had a few teachers along the way that, that really inspired me, I would say, to um, straighten up and go to college. I, there was a time I don't even know that I would have gone to college um, without sort of input and, and guidance from, uh, at that time, a, a biology teacher. So, What is the strangest animal that you have ever worked with? Uh, for me, in museum medicine, one of the unusual things I get to work on are, are invertebrates. And so we have a lot of invertebrates. Uh, when I was uh, in vet school, actually, we started an a invertebrate medicine uh, club at vet school where folks could sort of go and we would bring in speakers and, and kind of go into to talks about working with everything from honeybees to, to uh, corals or, or uh, other marine invertebrates. Probably the most unusual thing when I was in vet school, I was in uh, in the clinic actually on an internal medicine uh, rotation, and we had uh, someone ran in and said they had a millipede that had fallen and, oh. and had a fracture. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it had damaged its exoskeleton, and so um, again, just like back in high school, they were kind of looking for someone to, to figure <laughs> to that out. To help save this millipede. Yeah, to help save a millipede. So we, uh, I, I, I got permission to, to work on that case, and we were able to actually, um, we took an uh, artificial nail, uh, without saying brand, some kind yeah. of press-on nail, yeah. and, and we were able to do some repairs to that exoskeleton. <laughs> So that's probably my, uh, I would say, one of my most unusual cases. So the millipedes, which are about the size of your pinky and those things that have yeah, like a thousand yeah. legs. Th- this one was probably a little longer. This was a, an African species. Okay. Um, so maybe about eight inches long, uh, but still about as big around as maybe your thumb. Um, but a perfect fit for a, a press-on nail and some uh, basically super glue. This was tissue glue. but Were you successful? Yeah. So we were able to repair the exoskeleton. We gave it uh, some fluids to help sort of restore some fluids that it had lost. 
And I have to say that that, that patient was we say lost. Well, it was lost to follow up, so I, I didn't get to follow up uh, sure, after that. They didn't point, keep their appointment. Yeah. No, no. But we did send it home in in pretty good shape. So. So, what advice would you have for students that are interested in becoming a veterinarian? Uh, so, so my advice would be um, to figure out you know what you like to do and, and what you're passionate about. In vet school, you know, it's a challenge um, to, to sort of find a school and to apply and to, to get into vet school. But, but the best thing is just to, you know, follow those things you're really interested in. Become very active, very committed to, to really anything you love. You know, we, we have folks in vet school that are history majors and uh, architects and, you know, they journalists and just folks who really have put their, their passions into, you know, whatever that area is. Folks who play sports. Um, so, so take those things, you know, be, be committed and do as much as you can to develop those areas and figure out how that can complement, you know, other things that you do. And in, in vet medicine, for me, museum medicine, it's, it's this sort of new idea or new field we're, we're kind of creating as we go. But, but being a veterinarian is, is such a great complement. Um, it brings so much to the table in, in that situation. And there are many others out there. So I encourage you to follow, you know, follow the things you love. Only do things that you're passionate about, and, and you'll find ways to, to make that a success. Fantastic. That's great advice. And similarly, it's uh, probably hard for you to put your finger on what your favorite animal might be. You, we talked about the strangest animal. So favorite, I don't know, is that? I'm going to give you two answers. I, I have my favorite sort of animal to work on um, as a patient. Uh, I, I really like to work with fish. Um, so fish medicine is probably my, that, that's probably my favorite clinical work. Okay. How, <laughs> I mean, do you work on fish while they're underwater? Yeah. So we do, you know, fish are, we talked about vertebrates, fish are vertebrates. They have pretty much the same sort of anatomy, physiology, very similar makeup to, to other animals that you might think of, uh, aside from one major difference, which uh, <laughs> I'll ask you, do you know what that difference is? Gills. Yeah, very good. So, so they still need oxygen. But instead of lungs, like we're used to, they, they have gills. So a little bit different structure, but similar concept. So for us, when we're working on a fish, we have to make sure that they're, they're wet, they're in water, and they're getting oxygen to their gills. But we still can anesthetize them. We still can do And anesthetize exams. them means them give them medicine so they yeah, sort of go to sleep. exactly. So if we need to do any sorts of procedures where we're really handling them a lot, or if we need to... Um, restrain them, we can sedate them, uh, or anesthesia, we can basically get them to sleep. If we were doing a surgery on a fish, we would have it in water, we would have water that was oxygenated running across its gills, and we would have it anesthetized just like you would a, a dog or a cat for that procedure. So it's just the water runs over their gills. They're not necessarily submerged in water because I would imagine yep. if, you know. So as, as long as you're gentle with them and, and sort of they have a protective layer, most of them have scales and they have a lot of mucus to protect them. So you have to be careful of that with handling. But we work with them out of the water but wet. And instead of having a, a tube that may intubate them or, or sort of provide a, a passage to lungs, we have a tube that has oxygenated water that flows across their lungs. So if you ever visit us at the window, you might see a fish up on a, a, a foam block with a, a water, uh, a tube with water going across its gills. In this case, instead of a gas that, that is used for anesthesia or to help put them to sleep for the procedure, um, we put it in the water. So we, we keep that drug in the water 
keeps them, you know, where we need them to be so they don't feel what we're doing, they don't move around, and, and we go on with our procedures. So. Why might a fish need surgery? How do you even know that a fish needs yeah, surgery? So, so they can't sort of knock on your door and say, hey, Dr. That's Dan. Right. So, so uh, fish have eyes just like we have. Um, they have a skeletal system. They have the same sorts of GI systems. They get uh, the same sorts of problems. They can get injuries. They can get traumas. Uh, that's sort of an injury to, to some part of them. Um, they may develop a, a, a mass, a, a cancer. Sometimes we remove tumors from fish. Um, so all those things are possible. They can have GI obstructions. So, um, tummy ache. Yeah, basically, yeah. So so all the same sorts of things. We, we All the systems that we work with, even the invertebrates, have you know a lot of similarities. And so we sort of bring that to the table. Keep an open mind. Figure out what the you know the differences are, and 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 then use what you've learned on for us a dog or a cat, and apply that to whatever species we have. And I would imagine that being any sort of scientist takes an incredible um, observation skills, and so you really need to pay attention. And so you know we touched a little bit that animals they can't tell you when they're feeling bad, but it might be something in the way they look or something in their behavior. So as, as the doctor, as the veterinarian, you sort of have to guess a little bit, I would imagine. Absolutely. And, and you know, you hit on a, a keynote observation, you know, visual exams for us, that is, that is the number one, you know, key uh, procedure or, or thing we can do with an animal. As you said, they, they can't tell us when they feel bad, but we look at things like their, their posture, how they stand, how they look, you know, their attitude, um, how their reactions are. And, and those observations or those visual exams, I always tell folks at, at our window that, that join us, uh, you know, vet medicine is, is not necessarily rocket science. Um, everybody can participate. And, and a lot of times, if you just take the time to really look and um, sort of be confident, you know, folks at the window with absolutely no training can pick out a lot of the same things we're, we're picking out. Uh, as we start our exams. And, and that's really, really key. Those observational skills are critical. Yeah. So if something's different, it's probably something's probably wrong. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The, the other thing that, that we uh, fall back to, um, luckily, a lot of the organisms we work with are uh, symmetrical as far as that, you know, they have two sides that, that usually look the same. And so, you know, again, that's just observations. If if something, you know, looks a little different on one side, that's a good idea to investigate that. If there's a droopy eye, there's probably something <laughs> happening making it droop like that. Exactly. Fantastic. Okay, so that's your favorite animal to work on. That's your favorite, you know, maybe most interesting in the clinic to work on. What's your favorite animal? So, so I would have to say outside of the clinic, absolutely my favorite animal uh, either a, a turtle or a tortoise. I, I think um, I've always been fascinated by by turtles. Um, I, I think that they're uh, you know they're amazing creatures. They they usually um, you know they're very interesting to watch. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I you know with my dad we would go out and, and um, either go for walks or be fishing or, or be sort of out and, and see turtles uh, locally. I now have had a lot of opportunities to, to work with sea turtles as well. And so I would say turtles are my favorite. Animal. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Wonderful. And uh, Dr. Dan, since this is the walk-in classroom, I'm going to leave you with one question. Where is your favorite place to walk? My favorite place to walk. Now, so, do you take your children out walking looking for turtles like your dad did? I, I do. And that, that actually... I don't want to feed you the answer. No, no. <laughs> that, that actually, um, that's a, a perfect lead-in because I, I mentioned sea turtles. And, and I've been fortunate uh, over the past 15 years. I, I, uh, I have 
two kids. My, my son is seven and my daughter is 16. Um, my, my daughter, and since she was one year, uh, one, and my son pretty much since he was one, uh, every year we go to, to a beach here in North Carolina, Topsail um, Island. There are a few beaches or beaches along it, and we walk on the beach in, in the evening and, and look for nesting sea turtles. So those sea turtle trips and walking on the beach are absolutely my, my favorite time for, for walking and, and enjoying family. So That's fantastic. Thank you so very much for joining us today. This has been delightful. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Take care.